Greetings, friends, and welcome back, or welcome to the High Flyers podcast. The community for the curious ones, the ones that want to learn to fly high in your own way, from value creators and problem solvers in all aspects of society. Learn about their sunrise, magic moments, hustle, and so much more to help us all be 1% better every day together. And I'm your host, so there was really this process of recreating myself. At the same time, I think I was 39, had three young children. Um, I was so keen to go off and try my hand at being an entrepreneur because to me it's the ultimate test of your skills. There's no one else backing you up. It's, a, it's, a, it's the ultimate test. Um, but I didn't have any funds. And so uh, I, luck- I came across an idea, a, a gap in the market, and um, I then went out and started capital raising. That's Katrina Makata, and this is episode 33. If you're a new listener to the show, welcome. This community has value creators from all aspects of society, and Katrina brings a fresh new perspective. Growing up in Perth, Australia, learning a lot from her mum from an early age, including financial knowledge and building self-belief to dream big. Hear about Katrina's journey from being in the corporate world to how starting a family led her to the exciting new venture, building a business centre around mums. Now being a mum herself of three kids, book author, business owner and global speaker, Katrina shares her learnings in life, painful moments and taking big leaps of faith. We also talk about her insights on mums, how businesses are changing their views of parental leave, Katrina's own experience, and some really fascinating trends with mums as consumers, and the average age of mums differing based on the country. For example, she's 25 years old in, in the US and 31 in Australia. Welcome to the show, Katrina. Really excited to have you on. Oh, thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, you've got a you've got a really cool journey today, so I'm looking forward to unpacking that. It might be worth chatting off with sharing a bit about yourself to give perspective to the listeners. Can you share where you are in life and who you are, please? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a marketing and partnership strategist. I've actually got two businesses. One of them is Marketing to Mums, which is a marketing consulting business that helps. Um, I work with business owners, really helping them attract more mothers to their business. And that's called Marketing to Mums. And my other business is Partnership Mastery. And that's where I'm really teaching um, business owners and entrepreneurs the how-to of finding strategic, meaningful partnerships for their business. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, let's start, let's start off with understanding Katrina, the person, um, and particularly your sunrise, your childhood and your early formations. What, what was that like growing up? Where, where did you grow up and what was the influence of family? Uh, I pretty much grew up on Cottesloe Beach. So um, I was born in Melbourne but grew up in Perth with a single mum and my younger brother. And um, uh, my mum was very much dedicated to making sure that I understood money and that really meant um, how to make it um, and how to manage it. So from a really early age, um, my mum used to play the stock market all the time. But from an early age, she wanted me to understand that it was 
important for me to have a good work ethic. So um, my first job was collecting golf balls off the fairway at the local golf course every day after school for $2 and that was at about 11 and uh, she really ramped things up for me I guess when uh, when I hit high school and uh, she uh, I used to actually have to apply for a budget every term because we went to school on a term system then and um, I would have to uh, put forth a budget on all the projected expenses that I might need, whether that's school uniform replacements or a camp or books or um, even going off to um, to the movies on the weekend with my girlfriends, I would have to forecast all of that one term out, put in my budget to mum and she would then review it, issue out the money and I would have to manage that money over the course of the term. So whilst it was pretty different at the time, I realised that kind of none of my mates were doing anything like this. Um, I knew that uh, what I well what I learned from that as as a child was that I really understood how to manage a cash flow. Yeah, it sounds like a very mature upbringing. Talking about money and, and managing finances. Did you, did you have any other passions that you did growing up as a kid in in high school? Ah, uh, yeah, look, well? yeah, look, mum's really big into the arts, so um, uh, I had a really kind of, uh, I've got a fairly artistic family, but for me, I'm not a drawer, I, I could never kind of draw, <laughs> and for me, it was probably, it wasn't until about my 30s that I realised that my creativity comes through my ability to problem solve and generate new ideas, but we would spend our weekends at art galleries and museums uh, pretty much every weekend if we weren't on the beach. And did you have any any influences growing up? Because I think one of the things that we talk a lot about on the show is we're all a product of our bringing and our environment. Do you, do you look back and reflect on any influences, whether it was family or people in your school community that you looked up to? Yeah, definitely. Um, I have uh, really strong female role models in my aunties and, again, my mum. And uh, my mum was a big, uh, really kind of walked to her own beat and she believed really strongly in chasing your dreams. Um, so when I got one of my, you know, early jobs was at KFC um, and I decided that I wanted to go to New York. Um, and so for two years, she was big on, you know, encouraging me to goal set and chase my dreams. So for two years, I used to keep this scrapbook um, and, and you know, really tire out my friends, showing them all the wonderful places that I planned to go uh, when I finally got to New York. And I had I'd saved up enough money by about the age of 16 to uh, to head off to New York and, and mum was really big on making sure that that dream became a reality for me and it was a really significant learning for me and turning point I think in my life because I've realised that it's so important to have really big dreams and, um, and go off and chase them and, and to be able to make something um, come true at you know as a teenager really um, gives me a great deal of confidence that I took into my adult life about chasing what I really want. Mm. It sounds like your mum almost tried to design a childhood for you that was intentional based on certain learnings. I wonder if you can share, did that come from somewhere? Did your mum have 
financial challenges growing up and that's why she wanted to make sure you didn't? Absolutely. So she grew up on the gold fields. So she, I think she was born in Magnet um, in the WA yeah. gold fields. Her dad was a mine manager. I think life was was pretty tough. Certainly as a single mum, we, you know, in a growing up with a single mum, we didn't have a whole lot of uh, spare cash. So mum was always very resourceful and she was really, it was really important to her that she put um, her daughter out into the world as someone being really uh, financially capable of uh, creating her own wealth um, and yeah and making making her own way in the world so that was super important to her. Um, I must ask so with all this experience around financials and and managing your life to an extent what what did you want to be when you were say in grade 10 11 and you were sort of figuring out life after high school do you have any aspirations? Absolutely like from about the age of eight I thought I was going to be a stockbroker and um I uh, I love deals. Um, you know, I'd certainly been around it. My family all played the market. Um, and uh, for mum, it was her way to finance, um, uh, you know, getting new carpets and new home furnishing, uh, furnishings and things that she loved. Um, but I remember chewing the ear off my bus driver every morning on my way to school, you know, telling him about that I was going to be this amazing stockbroker. And I will say, probably only about 10, 15 years ago, I was back in Perth and I did have to get on a bus and I boarded the bus and the gentleman said to me, so are you a stockbroker? And it was actually my my bus driver from when I was at school. I couldn't believe it. And he had wow. remember, he had recognised me and remembered. I, I thought, wow, I really must have chewed your ear off about being a stockbroker. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's also a good sign that you probably look similar to you, the way you did in high school. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess a positive. <laughs> no, very interesting. And, and then you obviously took the part to uni and you studied, I understand you studied the business world. Um, what was the plan then? So you studied business and then I, I know you made the, you made a move into the FMCG world and you spent some time in a few, few organizations there. Was that again, um, you wanting to learn the business side because you mentioned you wanted to go down a finance route, but you went down a more broader business route. Yeah, it's a really interesting question. So for me, um, I've always loved that arts, having grown up around art galleries and museums. So I did a a Bachelor of Business in Marketing uh, because I love the creativity that marketing uh, provides and and also that data analytics, which I love. But I also did a minor um, study at the Academy of Performing Arts at WAPA um, in Arts Management because, you know, I just really love being around artists and I spent all my um, my part-time work history whilst I went through uni working in an art gallery for a WA art, a big WA art dealer. So uh, for me, I've always been interested in the arts, but I was very conscious that they don't have a whole lot of funding and that there wouldn't be the training that I really wanted to get as a, as a business person. So um, straight after I finished my bachelor um, uh, degree, I actually got invited onto a um, uh, onto an overseas uh, funded trip to study at Chiang Mai Uni. So I actually moved over to Chiang Mai for three months and I lived with uh, two Arjans or professors, so the head of the political science school and the head of the business school. Uh, their daughter was on a King scholarship, so I moved in with them and um, had the opportunity to do a cultural study um, into um, into the Thai um, into the Thai culture and I had a look at the music industry and arts industry there. It was really, really 
really fascinating. And then I came back and started um, my, uh, I guess, my professional uh, career and uh, started at the uh, graduate program with Mars Pet Care. Yeah, interesting. Well, that sounds like a lot of different sliding doors there where, where you almost had to sort of, I'd imagine, pick and choose. But but on reflection, do you, do you think that that experience where you started off in that industry set you up to give you the grounding you needed to where you are today? Oh, look, absolutely. Look, one of the things that I um, loved about uh, working for Mars in particular was uh, they kind of had these five principles that, that that we really lived by. And I've taken a lot of those principles into my entrepreneurial life as well, into my current businesses. And one of those is around mutuality. And, and so everything that we did, we were given quite a lot of freedom, but everything we did had to have a mutually beneficial outcome for all parties involved. And uh, that's something uh, that, that really has stuck with me and has actually now led me to even create a business around partnerships where there's the, where there are those mutually beneficial outcomes. Mm, and one of the things I'd love to talk about is the influence of family because I know leading up to this, talking to you, that's something that's really important to you in your own family now and you carve out time for it and you've got a lot of interests and, and priorities. How, how do you manage that, especially now that you've got your own business and you've sort of accountable for your own time but then you've got kids and you've got a family also that, that you want to spend time with? Where, where did, Where's the middle ground there for you? Uh, look, it's always challenging. Um, I've now got three teenagers and I think uh, one of the big learnings I made being a mother of teenagers is that they actually need you more now than, you know, perhaps when they were younger and it's those incidental conversations that are so important. So I really structure my day. Uh, my husband does all the drop-offs. I get up and I start work early and I finish up early as well and that allows me to be around for some of those pickups uh, with the kids and actually have those incidental conversations conversations but um, I also travel with the kids so uh, you know when we're not in COVID I'm uh, I do a lot of speaking I speak overseas um, and share my research around marketing to mothers so um, I've actually taken the you know the whole family for a month out on the road around the states while I was speaking um, back in 2017 but I'll often take one of the kids with me when I'm on a speaking gig so that they can see their mum and what I do because whilst they've got an idea of what I do I like to I want to see I want them to see me in action um, so that they can start making kind of some big goals for what they want to do with their life yeah very cool I, I hope that resonates with some listeners I think we have listeners in the show that that are mums themselves or parents and they sort of trying to figure out how to have the balance in life and hopefully listening to you that they can go you can have the best of both worlds um, and raise a family, but also have a career of your own? Oh, look, absolutely. It's not without challenges, I will definitely say. And it really requires, we really see it as a as a team effort. Um, you know, I talk about the family being, being a team effort as well. So uh, they need to lift their game as well. The kids need to lift their game as well <laughs> in terms of their contribution. So uh, quite often at my household, once you hit high school, that you're responsible for cooking one night a week for the family. Um, yeah, so it's just kind of one thing where, where I don't like many of the domestic chores, which, you know, who does? Um, so I make sure that they're putting in as well. No, fantastic. Now, now, magic moments, Katrina. I know talking to you and, and having done a bit of research into your story, I'm sure there's many of those moments that you look back on that were either painful learnings or people you've met or experiences you've had. Are there any that stand out for you that you can share with the listeners, whether it was in life or work? 
that you look back on and you go, you're really glad you went through that because it made you a better person? Yeah. Yeah. Look, there are probably quite a few, there's a few actually that I'd probably love to um, mention, bit it. One of them, um, I did my first Holy Communion um, when I was, I don't know, year, year three. So I think I was eight. And um, I've already kind of shared with you that my mum kind of walked to the beat of her own uh, drum and she thought that instead of the beautiful white little bride dresses um, that she would dress me in a maroon two-piece outfit with a pink and white bow tie. So I, I, I guess I'm sharing that with you and at the time I felt like, oh, I being different was just awful. I just wanted to be like everybody else and kind of melt into the background. But I think um, I'm really great. I'm really grateful in terms of the resilience that it has brought but also it's been a real learning for me and it's something that I spend a lot of time with my clients educating them on is that it's our differences that make us special. Uh, Certainly in the world of marketing it's very uh, cluttered, Um, a lot of people um, trying to reach the same kind of uh, consumer groups. Uh, Specifically I I work in the area of, of approaching mothers and it's being able to highlight those differences and really accurately communicate them um, that makes all the difference. And um, I, sp- yeah, as I said, I spend a lot of time talking about differences and, and it's our differences that make us special. I say that to my kids all the time and it's no different in business. So that's probably my first kind of real learning through life is about uh, the benefits of being different and doing things differently. The second one that I'd love to share is around the power of collaborations. When I uh, first, uh, you know, uh, took that big leap and went into the world of of entrepreneurship, I launched an online shopping website for mothers back at the beginning of 2012. And um, I had raised a small amount of, you know, startup funds through um, through some investors. Uh, but I was really, really mindful of, inv- of how I spent that money. Um, and I remember doing a print campaign uh, that worked terribly. Like um, I may as well have thrown the money out the door as I as I drove down the street and um, on on a whim I reached out to another woman who had a non-competing um, online uh, parenting site to mine and we kind of exchanged startup stories and on a whim I said to her what about we run a joint competition together where the mode of entry will be to would be to sign up to both of our newsletters And she took that a step further and said, I'm really interested, but let's also involve a third party. So I was fairly bold in my my action and I reached out to the largest parenting site at the time that had about half a million mothers in their community. And I was a fairly new startup at this stage and said, look, if I could secure a really great prize would you be interested in joining us and she said you know what I'm in and over the course of a few weeks I negotiated a couple of thermomixes which for those that are not familiar with the thermomix it's kind of a a food processor and cooking machine all in one and it's designed to save you a whole lot of time and they're highly revered by many new mothers and we ran a competition to one to to win two of these uh, thermomixes and in 10 days I added more than 7,000 new members to my website for the cost of 
I think it was $50 to run some graphics. And I couldn't believe what a revelation that this was through the power of collaboration that I could minimise my marketing expense uh, to so little and actually yield such a great benefit. Um, And to give a bit of context, if I had gone off and used paid advertising to to generate those 7,000 new members, it would have cost me in excess of $10,000. So that for me Mm. was a really big penny dropping moment. And I replicated that same kind of collaborative approach over the course of the next five years. And that's what allowed me to build that community of 150,000 mothers. So I now am in the position where I teach others how to do that um, and use partnerships to position their business or, um, you know, minimise their expenses or to deliver new leads, all sorts of different ways. So that for me was a really big, uh, I think, career moment and uh, and learning you know, on my entrepreneurial mm. journey. Mm. It sounds like a definite magic moment there. Um, one of the things, Katrina, I'm curious to, to talk about, if we peel it back to your days at Mars and, and looking at LinkedIn, I think you spent five to six years there. And it's evident that you've had this entrepreneurial drive and spirit from a young age. Um, did you find that that was a, a challenge internally within yourself when you were in a big corporate going, okay, I want to run my own life and have my own kind of ambition, but you're still in a corporate where you've got structure and approval processes. How how did you deal with that in terms of just the mental side of it? Because I know there's a lot of listeners who are similar and particularly with COVID now where people have a lot of passions that they want to explore, Yeah, but they're still working in a corporate environment and they sort of don't know how to get out of it or how to transition away from it. What was that like for you when you were there at Mars, as you said, in the late 90s and early 2000s, particularly because the internet wasn't as big back then and making changes and taking a leap of faith was not common? Yeah, I think that's such a good question. What I loved about being in the corporate was the access to training um, and um, the opportunities that were afforded me at a really young age. Um, So that I really, really enjoyed and I loved the pace. I was in sales because I didn't want to live regionally. If you wanted to um, be anything outside of sales, you were in a regional town and that really didn't appeal Mm. to me being in my early mid-20s. So uh, for me, I loved the pace. Um, I loved the team. I also found that I wasn't really steeped in process and policies. Um, When I was at Mars, they, um, you know, one of the principles is freedom. So you had that freedom to almost act quite entrepreneurially, if that's a word, um, within a corporate setting. So um, that kind of worked well for me. And I had a really interesting small team. I worked on the Coles Meyer team at that at that time. There was Coles Meyer was a, was a thing. Um, but mm. I've also worked over at Arnott's as well, uh, running sales teams. And um, for me, it was the pace. Where I found it differed and where it changed. Um, I uh, was always full-time. I looked to go part-time after um, having my first child and I felt that the corporate world really struggled at that time. We were talking about the early early to mid-2000s with how to bring back kind of senior women uh, back into the organisation um, and keep them really engaged. I felt like for me, I was taken out of um, input in being put into a part-time role. I was taken out a lot of the um, key decision making and that for me, I just lost all interest and that's when I really wanted to start doing things for myself. And and how did you go about that? If you can 
put some flavor to that because again on the show we've had a number of people who've either had a very deliberate move away from a corporate career where they've been very structured but then also there's been others where they've had a sliding doors moment through a friend or through an experience that's allowed them to explore that and then create create a life out of it what was that like for you as it was it one or the other or was it something else that drove that change? Yeah, I, lo- I love your questions. Um, for me, <laughs> uh, after one particularly bad day, um, I came home and my husband said, hey, l- listen, do you want to go? We were living in Melbourne at the time and he said, do you want to go back to Perth for, for the rest of the year? And, um, and we'll just, we'll take a, we'll take a, effectively, I would have a year off um, at home with my young child at that time. It was my firstborn. Um, and let's just go over and, and do that. So he negotiated a five-day load over four days and we moved back to Perth. And what we thought was going to be a 12-month visit ended up being a, deco- a decade-long uh, mm. relocation back to Perth. And for me, I ended up taking a career break of about three or four years and I had another two children. And then I was really itching to get back to work and do something. But for me, I had a couple of issues straight up. I had uh, the grocery industry doesn't have any head offices over in Perth or if they are, they're very, very small businesses. Um, So the grocery industry wasn't there and available to me. So there was really this process of recreating myself. At the same time, I think I was 39, had three young children. Um, I was so keen to go off and try my hand at being an entrepreneur because to me it's the ultimate test of your skills. There's no one else back backing you up. It's it's a it's the ultimate test. Um, but I didn't have any funds. And so uh, I, luck- I came across an idea, a, a gap in the market. And um, I then went out and started capital raising, uh, which was really quite difficult at the time because I didn't have any of my corporate um, kind of colleagues living in Perth. Everyone kind of knew me as a mum in the park. So mm. I had a lot of fairly awkward coffees uh, along St. George's Terrace, uh, but I ended up raising uh, enough money to get going um, and I kicked off my business. And in that first business, um, I really learned a lot. I was on a very steep learning curve, um, and but that's really shaped um, my my future businesses. Um, and uh, yeah, made me who I am. I'm, I'm incredibly resourceful. Is something that I've learned through the journey. No, well, well done. I know we spoke about this leading up to the episode, and you, and you shared parts of it. I think that's very inspiring, particularly for me. I think in today's world, where there's a big focus on having a family and and having that equality in life you've clearly shown that it can be done and you did it before it became mainstream so (laughs) so that's that's well done on that um and then i think the other side that katrina is also fascinating where we talk about painful learnings and we've talked a lot about the good moments is there one painful learning that sort of stands out for you that that you struggled with in the moment but looking back you're really glad you went through it Mm, i mean i would certainly say uh, one of those early moments was um, not understanding consumers perhaps to, the, I mean, not at all to the level that I understand them now, um, but realising um, when I did invest that 
you know, I invested quite a quite a considerable amount in a print in that print campaign when I first launched that first business. And as I said, I may as well have thrown the money away because I didn't have the understanding that it's not just one touch point, that someone's really going to need, you know, up to 11 touch points with you and you really need to build that relationship. So that for me was a very, very significant learning and it completely changed the direction of the work that I do with my own clients and the and the work that I do to build my profile and to have a content marketing strategy as well within my own business. And and the the other side to that you, you talked about earlier in your introduction was you've now built it bigger than just a marketing to mum's business where you also do speeches around the world and, and I think you've got other other aspects to that. Was that again a desire you had when you started the business to uh, build it further than just the business? Oh, look, I was very much, Marketing to Mums is very much a global business and um, I have a view that I will probably move to New York after my kids have finished school. So that's kind of a a five-year plan Um, and I have uh, great networks in the US as well um, with the work and the research that I do around around Marketing to Mums. So that was, that's very much kind of planned out. In terms of writing books, I've now written and published two books um, around marketing to mums and that wasn't on my agenda. That was really um, a tap on the shoulder that I got from one of my mentors probably back in 2015 who said, Katrina, it's now time to write a book. And I said, hold on, Um, that's kind of not on my agenda. I hadn't thought about having that on my plan. And he was really, uh, he spent a lot of time just convincing me that it it was time. Um, And I was terrified. I remember I remember being terrified of actually putting my thoughts out into the world and having them on a, on a bookshelf um, that that someone might read them and I'd be exposed for life. Um, but what I really learned through the process is that it is so important to get out of our own way um, and it's so important to continually push ourselves out of our comfort zone and that's something I think that I've done far more on my entrepreneurial journey than I did when I was working in corporate. So, yeah, that would be one one key thing that I would say in terms of the difference between the two. And I'd imagine that, that out of your comfort zone, the travel aspect and new experiences are probably a big part of it, right? Like where you mentioned earlier, where you've done speeches and you've been involved in communities in different cultures. What, what, what's that experience been like? Has that broadened your horizons and your understanding of not just marketing to mums, but as a person on how you interact with people and how you grow yourself? Absolutely. Um, I've had the pleasure of of speaking in Paris as the only English speaking speaker at a Marketing to Moms event um, in Paris a couple of years ago. And that was an absolute, you know, real kick for me. Um, A really, really big moment um, where I, I was yeah, I did have, I don't speak French, even though I'm married to a, a, a man whose family is French. Um, I had all my slides done in French, so I had to remember them as graphics, but it was a great opportunity for me to learn a lot about the differences, the cultural differences uh, between French mothers and Australian mothers. And also, as I said, I speak each year in the States. So learning some of the differences about uh, the different buying behaviours um, and impacts and motivations of an American mother versus versus an Australian mother versus uh, a, a European mother or, or an Indian mother. I, I spend a lot of time uh, delving into that research. 
And, and, and one question that I love asking guests, and this is a, an interesting question because the answer is always fascinating, is is there a six-month or a 12-month period in your life that's been the most fun that you look back on? You're like, I love that 12-month period. I learned so much and it was so energizing. Oh, without question, for me, it's my trips to New York, um, <laughs> I, without question. So I went at 16. It was my very first trip. Uh, that was really eye-opening for me. What I love about it is the energy on the street. So I'm, I'm not a massive party girl, but I really feed off uh, the electricity and the energy that I find on the street. And for me, it's a place where there is so much opportunity and it's about the opportunity that you create and make. And that's very much about uh, who I am. I'm all about being bold and taking big action, inspired action, but also creating our opportunities. Um, I think that we are completely responsible for creating our opportunities. And for me, New Yorkers, that is exactly what they do. So my greatest fun periods have been um, definitely my first trip there at 16. Um, when I was, I think, 19 and 20, while I was going through uni, I spent three-month periods there, uh, which was uh, really fabulous. And um, uh, my uncle actually, my auntie and uncle actually live in New York and my uncle has a jazz label. Uh, so it's spending a lot of time in jazz clubs uh, with some, you know, wonderful jazz musicians from around the world. So uh, they've been, you know, my most fun times, definitely. Love it. Yeah, I'm, I'm just waiting for the day the borders open up so we can travel again to cities like New York. Yeah. Hopefully soon. Soon. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, you, you've talked about your hustle a fair, a fair bit, but I think one of the things that get, listeners always ask me is, is guests like yourself, how do you get to the positions you are and succeed, right? Because I think people have a lot of self-doubt and, and, and you've clearly shown a lot of resilience. Is there anything you've done deliberately that's helped you get to where you are and succeed that you could share with the listeners? Yeah, definitely. Without question, live more outside of your comfort zone than in it without question. Um, that is something that I've pushed myself through all the way through my entrepreneurial journey. Uh, the other one is really working hard at establishing yourself as an expert within your industry um, and really owning that space. Uh, so I spend a lot of time, as I said, doing research, uh, writing books. Uh, I write for media, uh, I write for the media. I'm a content source. All of that work uh, has been very, very helpful uh, to me in on my entrepreneurial journey as well. Um, so they're probably my two standouts that I'd share. And did you have to do any structured learning around that marketing to mum space? Because it is a very specialised space. Or did you have people that helped you out learn that space early on? Uh, really great question. So for me, I had that online shopping website. So I had a community of 150,000 mm. mums. The whole business came about, the marketing to mums business came about as a result of my first business, that online shopping website. I had 150,000 mums in that community and it was so evident to me that they were really unhappy with the way businesses and brands were communicating with them. And at the same time, I would promote brands uh, promotions and deals uh, through to my database and I would receive that from the brand and I would just think you have no idea with how to connect or how to engage with a with a mother and that's when I had my big aha moment that 
mums are unhappy, um, brands really don't know how to connect. There's a gap here. But to test that gap, I actually went out and did a whole lot of research. So I did a survey that I had hoped to get about three or 400 responses on. And I had well over 1,800 Australian mums come forth. And what we found was that 63% of Australian mothers believe that brands and businesses don't understand them. And that for me was like, okay, I verified that there's an enormous opportunity here because if businesses can get this right, there's an enormous financial benefit for those brands. But there's also great benefits to mothers in that they're having more tailored, personalised communications and not everyone trying to get their attention. So that's when I went all in um, on the marketing to mums business back in late 2015. And, I'm, and I must say that that is very true. I think me, myself working in the FMCG industry outside of this podcast, I think we always talk about the shopper being the mum, but to your point, not having enough focus about the mum, like in meetings or in campaigns around around innovation. Are there any insights that, that you can share with the listeners in that space? Because I think the work you're doing is very specialised, but in a way that's very collaborative with not just mums, but the community in general. Yeah. Are there any trends you've seen in the past 12 months and as you look forward to the next few years that you think will be things to watch out for? Yeah, look, absolutely. If you don't have a mum on your team and you're uh, wanting to connect and engage with mothers, you need to get a mum on your team. And it's not just your internal teams, it's your supplier teams as well. Make sure those in your agencies that are that are working on your account have got strong mum representation. That for me is one of the key issues with a lot of the big brands. Um, we know that Adland here in, in Australia is uh, dominated by single white males that really don't have a strong understanding of mums Um, so that straight up would be something that I would say and I see that as a frequent issue. Um, The second thing one of the things that I see is a lot of brands are trying to cater for all mums Um, without question the greatest results I'm seeing for my clients are when they're getting really clear on what is the most profitable segment of the mum market for their business and I work with a lot of businesses on understanding what that what that most profitable segment is but then it's it's getting beyond just understanding that profile but really really getting deep on the motivations and why they're, why they're choosing you. In terms of trends that we're seeing amongst mothers I would say there's a big drive to audio podcasts really really popular amongst mums uh, voice search so smart speakers really growing in popularity particularly with the younger millennial mums. Um, the other thing I would say is we're seeing a massive drive towards uh, time and convenience as being one of the greatest things that mums value uh, a lot more than they have previously. Uh, And I would say more recently, we've seen a really big shift in what is keeping Australian mums awake at night. We used to see that um, in the, you know, 2015, 16, 17, and even 18, we saw that the number one thing keeping them awake at night was the health and well-being of their children. Uh, We saw that shift to being more financially focused, uh, really concerned about making ends meet, probably around 2019. But in 2020, uh, given we've experienced COVID, uh, we did another um, a research project and that was ISO mums and understanding the impacts of home isolation and what we uncovered was that the number one thing keeping mums awake at night um, is actually whether her uh, partner was going to remain in employment so again they were looking to save money because they didn't know what tough times might be ahead 
as well as that, we've seen a key return to buying local. Uh, there's a mm. really strong move away from some of the big kind of um, mainstream uh, retail brands and and that that real drive to to creating community, reconnecting locally. So that's been a, a big focus that we have seen and businesses that are very kind of community focused, uh, have a local push, have been have seen great return um, in recent months by by having that focus. And I, and I imagine because you work across not just Australia but other cultures, even though the DNA of a mum is the same, there'd probably be nuances that'd be different between Australia and the US, for example, right? Absolutely. So you know, a really easy one. Uh, the first time a first time mum on average is age twenty five in the US, but she's almost thirty one here in Australia. There's a lot wow. of difference between twenty five and thirty one in terms of career development, education levels. Quite often, they've done postgraduate in in Australia whereas they're less likely to in the US, um, they're at really different spots in their life. So straight up, if, you, if you're, you know, trying to target pregnant women and, and new mothers in the US market, it's a very different game than it is here in, in the Australian market. So quite often, um, I've got Australian brands that might be looking at making a move into the US and what I can do is work with them to understand some of those nuances. Wow, that's that's really interesting. Yeah, thank you for sharing those insights. Um, I know me being in that industry, in the consumer industry, it's fascinating to hear because even though it might be the same gender and the same style of person, it can differ based on communities. And I imagine it's the same probably within Australia as well, based on demo demographics and and financial status, right? Yeah, a lot around motivate motivators as well. So uh, you know, Indian mums are really big in terms of education levels, and and they w- want to make sure that their their kid is getting ahead. So anything around early education in preschool, um, that's going to get their child to be seen to be ahead, you know, ahead of ahead of the others, is is going to uh, be well received um, in the in the Indian market amongst Indian mothers. So there's all sorts of different nuances it really depends on what is the audience that that you're wanting to cater for yeah and and the I think the flip side of that is also important and you talked about in your own experience where when you had your first child the appetite in the corporate world for someone with your with your life stage was not as important as it is today do you find that's evolving as well where corporates and and big companies are more willing to support mums in getting back into the workplace and continuing their careers? Absolutely. I think that they've realised that, you know, mums add an enormous amount of value into an organisation and uh, they need to look at bringing them back just for the diversity of thought, the quality of work output. Um, So uh, I've seen an enormous shift over the past decade in terms of how businesses are supporting uh, working mothers and also working parents. Where I think we really need to make some change is in supporting fathers to take time off and be off at home with their young children. Um, I think that that is kind of the next frontier that we really need to uh, get in place over the next five to 10 years. Mm, someone actually at work actually made a comment the other day saying that when a female becomes a mum and comes back, it's almost like starting a new life again. And I think that was mind blowing to me because sometimes you forget yeah, look, it's an enormous transition. It's one that I probably struggled with a bit because suddenly um, how society viewed and spoke to me was so very different from my corporate world as as a corporate exec um, and I was treated um, 
Oh, look, it it was difficult. It was very much as, and I don't I don't want to cause any offence here, but like just a mum, I was I was seen as very one dimensional, and my other kind of interests and things were very much um, overlooked. So that transition I found really really difficult to accept how how the world spoke to me. It's also a really big time of change for uh, for many women. When women become a mother, they actually re look at all their relationships with brands. So it's a key pivotal pivotal time for brands to be connecting uh, with these women as they're re-evaluating. You want to make sure that your brand is in their consideration set um, so that it's a time of great, great learning for them. And one of the other things we see in terms of the value of, 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 a, of a mother is that when a woman becomes a mother, the research shows that she's eight times more likely to be talking about brands. Wouldn't you want her to be saying great things about your business and your brand? Mm, no, fascinating insights. Thanks for sharing those. Um, now, we like finishing up the show, Katrina, with a final sprint, just some fun rapid-fire questions. Um, is there one investment you've made that you consider the best in your life? And it doesn't have to be financial. Ah, oh, that's such a good question. Yeah. Um, I think it's probably my investment for ta- having my career break after I had my kids. I really wanted to make sure that I I took that time out to really enjoy and bond uh, with my kids and it was a considerable uh, financial change to, it, to our income. Um, but that for me was definitely my best investment. Is there one thing you'd like to learn in the next six months? Hmm. I really, yeah, actually that's that's a good question. I'm really at the moment looking at my content marketing strategy. So for me, it's about um, building relationships over time and growing communities is probably my core focus of what I'm wanting to learn next. Is there one quote or person that inspires you or how does it inspire you in your life? I have to say my mum. <laughs> of course, yeah, she's um, taught you all the things you know. <laughs> Mum has probably taught me my biggest lessons. Um, so, you know, really to ignore the naysayers, um, get on and do things uh, that people say that you can't, um, you know, and to really ongoingly test yourself. So uh, they're the big lessons that I've taken from my mum and I'm hoping that I'm transferring those on to my own kids. You, you mentioned earlier about writing books. Is there is there a book that you give to others that you think is a great read? Uh, yeah, there is. Uh, there's a couple actually. There's The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. It's actually a self-help book, which I get a lot of my clients to read just in terms of uh, getting out of your own way and overcoming self-limiting beliefs. I think that that's a great book. Um, Also, one of my mentors, Andrew Griffiths, I love his recent book. I love his storytelling. He's a great guy. Um, I believe a lot. We share a lot of uh, similar strategies in terms of things that we do with our clients. And he's recently written a book called Someone Has to Be the Most Expensive, Why Not Make It You? or something along those those lines by Mm. Andrew Griffiths. So I love that one as well. 
And, and last one, is there one thing you try and do every week to get the best out of yourself mentally and physically? Yeah, without question. Uh, my husband and I, part of our transition from the work day into home life is we take a walk for about an hour, an hour and a half every single day. And that's kind of our debrief, catch up, uh, get out in nature, process whatever might be happening in our worlds. Um, and uh, yeah, without question, that is my best time of the day. Love it. Well, that's the finish line, Katrina. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I must say, I really love your energy and your self-confidence. I think a lot of people can be inspired by that and wish you all the best for the future. I really love the opportunity to speak to you, Vidit. Thanks very much for having me. I hope you took away some actionable insights and learnings from this conversation to apply to your lives and be 1% better every day. And I look forward to sharing the next episode with you next Tuesday. Stay tuned.